this series, we have been looking at the life of Joseph. What I like about the life of Joseph is Joseph's life shows us the journey I believe Jesus wants to take us on right now. Remember, more than a decision, more than just a moment, Jesus wants us to enjoy the journey that he wants to take us on. I mean, he doesn't want to just save us. He wants to sanctify us. He doesn't want to just sanctify us. He wants to set us up to be successful, not not according to the world's definition of success. I'm not talking about Wall Street and Forbes success. I'm talking about kingdom success, the things that God wants to do. Are you guys okay? I know we're not serving coffee yet, but y'all just kind of staring at me blankly like it got chilly outside or something and like it was easier to sleep in today than it was to be awake and alive. Hey, turn in your Bibles to Genesis 39 or, or scroll on your device to Genesis 39 and then put a mark in Romans chapter 5. That is going to be the heart of the message today. I'm going to confess, I almost skipped this message. We're reading through a book, Dream to Destiny by Pastor Robert Morris. As I was reading that chapter, I almost just jumped to the conclusion. I, I, was, I was ready to jump. I wanted to jump. I was listening to that message. I was reading through that book. And I realized that this was just too timely not to share. It was too impactful for me. Today I want to talk to you about prison production. Now I'm not talking about like a production that the prison's going to put on, like, a, like the Grinch that's coming up in Jesus' name. But, but the, the productivity, the things that God can produce... Even in prison. Let's read Genesis chapter 39, starting in verse 13. Remember, we left Joseph last week as he left Potiphar in the room with his clothes in her hand. She had his garment in her hand, and the Bible says that he fled and ran away. And now our story picks up in verse 13. And so it was when she, Potiphar's wife, saw that. He had left his garment in her hand and fled outside. Verse 14, she called to the men of her house and spoke to them, saying, See, he has brought in, he is now Potiphar. Now she's accusing her husband and Joseph of injustice. See, he has brought in to us a Hebrew to mock us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. Verse 15, and it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. Verse 16, so she kept his garment with her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him, the master, Potiphar, with words like these, saying, the Hebrew servant, blame, whom you blame, brought to us, came to me to mock me. So it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. I want you to notice just here in a a few passages earlier that, that she went to the men of the house that Joseph should have had with him so that he was never alone with her. But he continued to go to the same place having confidence 
in his own ability to get away. But the problem is not always that we're going to stumble or we're going to sin. But the Bible says flee the very or shun the very appearance of evil. In other words, God wants us to have accountability in people in our lives that will come along in our journey with us so that they can help us to shun even appearing like we could be accused of something. It's interesting to me that she went to the people that Joseph should have had with him to keep himself from being accused And now, so, verse 19, so it was when his master heard, when Potiphar heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, your servant did to me in this manner, his anger was aroused. Now, I read, reading this commentary, I'm going to go with this, I I, I, I caught this, and I, I, I tend to agree. I don't believe that Potiphar's anger was just aroused at Joseph. I believe that his anger was just aroused, period. He took it out on Joseph because he was embarrassed. He was probably angry with himself. He was certainly seemingly irritated with her. But she has accused him and she has put him in a position to where now if he doesn't deal with this, it looks like he's weak. She has put everybody in this place of having to make decisions that they didn't really want to make. And so... He does, so he takes it out. Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the prison. But the Lord, verse 21, but the Lord, you got to remember, especially in false accusations, especially when somebody does something to you that you don't deserve, especially when you end up in a position that you thought you, you didn't belong in, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. He gave him favor. Please recognize that the Bible just differentiated mercy from favor. Scripture differentiates grace from glory. And and there's a time where we want to step out of God's mercy because we don't need him to continue to forgive us of the same thing over and over again because he's already delivered us from that. And we begin to walk in his favor, begin to walk in his glory, that we get out of sin and into whatever it is that he has for us. He gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. Verse 23, the keeper of the prison, same thing that Joseph had in the palace under Potiphar. Now he has in the prison under the keeper. Did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority. Why? Because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it. To prosper. I believe and I have seen and I hope to continue to see that God's destiny for me is tied to his discipleship in my life. God's destiny, and this is, I believe in your notes. Um, if it's not, please write it down. I, I, I believe this is for you, that God's destiny for your life is tied to his discipleship in your life. His destiny for my life is tied to his discipleship for my life. In other words, God was 
watching and honing and teaching Joseph how to manage, how to add discipline. We could use the word steward. He was teaching Joseph stewardship or management. He was watching how is Joseph going to manage or steward the dream. How is Joseph going to manage or, or steward the pit? How is Joseph going to manage or, or steward the palace, the promotion, the blessing? How is, how is Joseph going to manage being, being born into a position of privilege slash a United States citizen instead of a third world country? How is, how is Joseph going to manage this success? How is he going to manage his finances, his resource, his time, his talent, his treasure? How is he going to manage another man's wife or another person's spouse? How is Joseph going to manage being falsely accused? Was he going to retaliate? Or was he going to remain faithful? See, prison can produce something as long as we understand that God is there with us. And we don't rebuke him. And we don't run from him. And we don't lay down in a corner and start feeling sorry for ourselves. Now last week, I said there's this one word that can remove us from God's destiny. It can keep us from God's destiny. I have, seen, I have seen this word knock people out, mighty men and women of God, out of the pulpit, off of the platform, away from their influence. And this one word was character. That was the word. Because your ability and your availability can take you somewhere, but only your character can keep you in that place. And God will not force your character. He will disciple your character. He will sanctify. Now, I believe, un, unlike any other, um, I, I believe that, that character has a formula. There's not a lot of things in Scripture that have a prescription or, or a formula. A lot of it is original and authentic, and, and God is sovereign, and he can do a lot of different things in a lot of different ways, dependent upon your personality and, and, and how you respond, because he's a perfectly holy, heavenly father who wants individual, authentic relationship with every person. Okay? But, but character, character has a formula, and I'm going to show it to you. In fact, this is where we're going to hang our hat today. Romans chapter 5. Verse 3 says, not only that, and, and in Romans 5, the first couple of verses, Paul is talking about rejoicing in the good and praising God for the good. But now he says, not only that, but we also glory in tribulation. Now listen, I preached a message called Get Out of the Pit, and, I, and then I, I followed up a message, Trust Through the Trial. And, and I believe that God led us there. And, and that's why I almost skipped over this. I was like, God, I, I have beat this horse, man. Or I, I have fed this horse, Lord. You know, just depending on how. Anyways, so I, I've done that. I've, I've gone there. But this is different. This message is not just about surviving the trial or surviving the storm. I'm talking about giving God glory in the storm. 
I'm not talking about waking Jesus up and being grateful that it's over or even finding peace. No, 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 no. I'm talking about producing eternal production in the middle of the tribulation. Paul says we are to glory in tribulation. Why? Because we know that tribulation produces perseverance. And you can carry this verb all the way through this passage. Produces perseverance. Verse 4, and perseverance produces character. See, character has a formula. And character produces hope. Verse 5, now hope does not disappoint. I'm going to come back to that. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. If you will, put um, verse 3 back up there, that whole glory in tribulation. Because this doesn't really make sense. See, there's two different words for the word glory in the New Testament, two different Greek words. Now, the first one is the one that automatically comes to mind. Like, the glory of God. The Shekinah, inner sanctuary, shining, impactful, um, what do you call those things? What do y'all call those things? I mean, we call them chill bumps. Yeah, the freezing zones and stuff. That it happens, like... You know, and I, I know that that's, okay, I'm over it. I, I heard you. Okay, so, like, but, but listen, you can get that when a, when a fighter pilot flies over a football stadium. Okay, that doesn't always mean that's the Holy Spirit. But the glory of God has a word and a sense and, a, and, a, and an expectation to it. And we're good talking about the glory. Come on, Lord, take me from glory to glory. I mean, if we preach on the glory then we get it. But, but Paul says, glory in tribulation. See, this is a different word. This word means to boast. So like, go around telling people how bad your stuff is. <laughs> Not like in a woe is me way, but like when people see the trial that you're going through, the report that you've been given, the loss that you've suffered, the position that you've been unjustly put in, it's not a platform for you to get a better life. It is a platform to reveal God in your life, right there where you are. It is an opportunity to, the Bible call, the root word here is rejoice. Or, or basically like you're rejoicing and glorying, you're hoping, you're praying that this will happen. It's almost like you you know everything's great, but, but okay, instead of like being overwhelmed by what you see happening across the nation, you're not anxious about it, you're not overwhelmed, you're like kind of excited. Like, whew, what is about to happen to the church? <laughs> what is, are we about to lose our privilege? Like God's up to something. He's about to use us in a way. Like we're about to see the government's about to take away the, the ability to write off our tithe. Now we're going to see who's really generous. Woo! I'm excited. About, I've, got an, I've got an expectation. There's a glory in the tribulation. I don't get angry. I give glory in the middle of that tribulation. Now why in the world would I glory in tribulation? Well, number one. Because tribulation produces 
perseverance. It's a biblical promise. We glory in tribulation because tribulation produces perseverance. Something that we don't currently have. And that we cannot receive without tribulation. See, if you don't ever go through anything, if you don't ever face anything difficult, anybody can win all the time. It's the person that learns from the loss and then comes back and is victorious. That's impressive. Like, people like to hear a comeback story, not a always had it story. Like, how many of you, I, I don't even like watching a game that's 45 to 2. Like, that's not even fun. I'll turn that off and go do something else. But come on, if somebody was down 45 to 2, they got a safety, by the way. That's how they got two. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but if somebody's down by that much and then all of a sudden they score and they go for two points and they score again and go for and then they hold them again and, and then they pick up a fumble and run back an interception and all of a sudden they're back in the game. Now I'm in. Because we like to see a comeback. Why? Because tribulation produces perseverance. Let me give you this quickly. We glory in tribulation. You don't listen, you don't have to wish for it. It'll find you. You don't have to pray for it. You don't have to, oh, God, give me something to challenge my part. No, no, it's coming. <laughs> just wait. You'll just see it when it gets there. Jesus actually promised, John chapter 16, verse 33. I've referenced this throughout this series. In this life, in this world, you will have. In other words, if you haven't had tribulation, it's about to come. If you're in tribulation, come on somebody, you're walking in the promise of Jesus right now. <laughs> I don't feel like it. Jesus, if you have not had tribulation or you're not in tribulation, you're not even walking in the promise of Jesus. Because Jesus promised that you will have tribulation. Watch what he says, but be of good cheer. Yeah, that's easy for you to say, son of God, that can change anything at any time. Because I have overcome the world. We sang about it this morning. James, by the way, the brother of Jesus that did not, according to most scholars, did not confess him as Lord until after he left. Nothing like a, nothing like a brother being raised from the dead and ascending to heaven to go, oh, <laughs> he really was. I mean, that was hard, you know, for a younger brother to believe his older brother was God. That'd be a little tough. I judge him not. But then all of a sudden, now he's confessed it. Watch what he, this is how he opens his book. The guy that believes in his brother after he's gone. My brothers, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith. See, it's not faith until it's been tested. The testing of your faith produces patience. According to James, trials produce patience. Trials produce patience. According to Paul, tribulation produces perseverance. Now, just breaking this down a little bit, a trial could normally just be temporary. Tribulation is normally an extended season. It was like, it, tribulation is like Jake's story that we saw as we opened this series where you wake up and realize you'll never be the same again. A challenge that, that may or may not go away. That's a tribulation. But, but patience 
is needed for that trial. Patience is, is waiting in the trial with contentment. It's not just waiting. It's waiting with contentment. It's an attitude of the heart. Like, you're not just trying to get through the trial. You're actually completely content. Paul writes one of my favorite verses, Philippians 4.11. I have learned to be content no matter my circumstances. That's what patience. Patience is waiting with contentment. But perseverance is fighting, thriving, and striving as long as necessary with contentment. Even if you feel like you're fighting against a wall, you can still come to the place where you are like Paul, where you say, I, I've, I've fought the good fight. That's perseverance. Listen, you, if you want to live for Jesus in 2000, you're going to need perseverance. I'm telling you, in the next decade, unless you fall off the wagon and become worse than you were before you ever came to him to begin with, if you want to stay in God's will for your life, and some of you won't. I'm, you can remember this prophetically right now. I don't even know who I'm talking to. But I'm telling you, some of you watching me right now, listening to this message, you will stop living for God in the next decade. You'll fall off the wagon. You'll drift away. But some of you will develop perseverance. You understand, God, I'll go wherever you want me to go as long as you go with me. I don't care if it's a temporary trial or a lifelong tribulation. Give me patience, give me perseverance. You know what, just give me Jesus. Because tribulation produces perseverance. Listen, perseverance produces character. Perseverance produces character. I, there is nothing else. Listen, hear me, unless you find it, and you can go look. I've not seen anything else in Scripture that produces perseverance or character except for tribulation. So if every time we have tribulation, if we're just trying to get over it or get out of it, then we're going to miss what it could have produced. And if every time that we feel like we end up in a place that's, that's not our fault, then we're going to miss what God had for us. Joseph had to wait 13 years to walk into his destiny. 13 years. Saul, who became Paul, was in Antioch for 13 years before he went on his first missionary journey. David was anointed king and had to wait 13 years for Saul to be removed from that position. And some of you are thinking, well, listen, my, my tribulation has lasted way longer than 13 years. Okay, Abraham had to wait 25 years to walk in his promise. His trial, his tribulation was 25 years. And some of you are saying, no, you know what, preacher? Now, I, I've been, I've been a, a, alive longer than, than you've been saved. And I've been serving in the church longer than you've been alive. And I'm telling you that I have been waiting in the Lord with contentment for 25 years. Okay, Moses wandered in the wilderness for 40 years just to go back into Egypt, deliver the Israelites, and wander for another 40 years. So unless you've been on trial for the last 80 years, and some of you are saying, Preacher, 
80 years I have suffered, I have waited, I have persevered in patience on my Lord. I want you to remember that there were some Israelites that never walked into their destiny. Because we have to embrace the trial. Is it possible that our response to the tribulation is what determines how long it lasts? Is it possible that my character in the midst of that struggle is what God is watching as the determining factor of when he can move me into the next place? Number two, perseverance produces character. So we have to go through long trials. We have to go through tribulation. Listen to me. The worst thing that you can do for somebody is promote them too early. Parents, grandparents, guardians, friends, listen, hear me. The worst thing that you can do for somebody is bail them out of a tribulation that God is trying to keep them in. The worst thing that you can do for somebody is put them on the platform before their character is ready. The worst thing, the worst thing, because only tribulation produces perseverance and only perseverance produces character. And if they're not willing to wait, then they're not ready to be used. If they're not willing to be prepared, then they're not ready for the position. And you need to wait in the Lord with them. Don't promote them too soon. Because early promotion, listen to me, is a destiny destroyer. Don't promote yourself too soon. Don't try to get to the place too soon. I'm telling you, enjoy the journey. Walk in the preparation. Don't just look at how great you are and how talented you are and how successful you've been. I'm telling you, look into your heart and evaluate your character. Joseph may have prolonged his period in prison because of his response. In Genesis chapter 40, we see the story. Joseph meets a, we'll call him a baker, and a cupbearer, we'll call him a butler. It's the story of the baker and the butler. And Joseph is in there with them, and, and they had a dream, and there was no one there to interpret the dream. And Joseph says, well, God interprets dreams, so Joseph interprets the dream. And, and for, the, for the butler, for the cupbearer, he says, hey, listen, in three days, you're going to be put back into your position, which is a great interpretation for a dream, right? And so the baker, seeing that the butler had a favorable interpretation, said, interpret mine, interpret mine. And Joseph says, okay, in three days, the king's going to cut off your head. It's like... Can we try again? Maybe like tomorrow I'll have another dream and we'll give you a second chance. Because that's not the greatest prophecy. Because only, the only prophecies that people want to hear are the ones that promote them. See, when a prophecy challenges you, you turn it off. When a prophecy challenges you, you go to church somewhere else. But the, the butler heard a favorable prophecy. And so Joseph says in Genesis chapter 40 to the butler, Remember me when it is well with you. He tells the butler, the cupbearer, and please show kindness. You, please show kindness to me and make mention of me to Pharaoh and, and get me out of this trial. Get me out of this prison. Get me out of this tribulation. And so, verse 23 says, yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. He forgot. And it was two years later 
before Joseph was delivered from prison. Let me ask you a question. Who gave the baker and the butler a dream? God. Who gave Joseph the interpretation of the dreams? God. Who gave Pharaoh his dream two years later that Joseph would go and interpret for Pharaoh? God. So why did he wait two years? Why didn't he just give him the dream two days later? Why didn't Pharaoh just have a dream 48 hours later and who cares if the butler remembers him? Because God had to leave Joseph in that prison so that he would know and remember that only God can deliver me. Only God can get me out of this. Because if he would have told the butler to go before Pharaoh and the butler would have told Pharaoh about Joseph who was in prison and remembered him, then Joseph would have thought, listen to me, Joseph would have thought that he had to drop hints with people for the rest of his life in order to walk in God's destiny for his life. Joseph would have thought, man, I've got to manipulate my way in or I'm not going to get out. I've got to drop hints. I've got to let people know what I need because the only way that they're going to bless me is if I tell them. And I believe the father was watching Joseph minister to the baker and the butler and, and he was pleased. Now listen, nothing can separate us from the love of God, but God is pleased whenever we honor him, obey him, and we walk in the character that he has for us. And listen to me. The Bible says he is grieved when we don't. Please, please do not confuse love with, with being pleased. There's a difference. He's, he's, a, he's a perfect parent. There's a difference between loving your child and being pleased with them. Come on, somebody. I got three of them. I am not always pleased. <laughs> and neither was my mama with me. She's still not. <laughs> but I believe God was watching. Oh, look, look, he's doing ministry. Look, look. And then he yells out to the butler, remember me when you stand before Pharaoh, remember me. And God's like, mm, this close. Two more years. Two more years. Number three, character produces hope. See, God never rewards manipulation. God never rewards our hint dropping because if he does then we won't have the character and then the character which is his character won't produce the hope which is in him character character is, is it's not only in how we act listen character can be seen in how we react so if you want to know your character, go scroll on Facebook for about 40 minutes this afternoon and read everybody's stupidity. Click on Fox News, CNN, CNBC, or whatever you want to listen to and listen to the insanity and then check how your spirit wants to respond. That's your character. There it is. I can see your character. You can see your character. Not based on just how you act. Joseph ran away. He had to feel good about the fact that he ran away from a pretty woman. Lost a jacket over it, but you know, he's lost a jacket before. Because I'll tell you that story later. But now he's in a position... 
of tribulation that's producing perseverance and perseverance that's producing character and and now now character is producing hope you know satan like lucifer he's he's not playing a new game he pretty much plays the same game over and over again like he told the same lie about the same person he just used two different people his brothers took his garment, his coat, presented it to the Father. It's false evidence, false testimony. And for 22 years, Jacob believed that Joseph was dead. Fast forward, Joseph is again in a, in a position of, of, of promotion and prosperity. And, and Potiphar's wife takes his jacket, his garment, and holds that as the false evidence and the false testimony against him. You know what that means? It means Joseph should have stopped wearing jackets. That's what that means. Some of you are like, I'm freezing. Well, Joseph would be freezing with you right now. There came a time where he stopped putting coats on, I can guarantee you. He was sitting around in the middle of winter. Joseph, aren't you cold? It ain't cold enough in here, I'm telling you putting that jacket somebody offers him a jacket he's, get thee behind me satan he's not putting the coat back on listen here why do we put back on the same things that god has already taken off and let the enemy continue to fool us and distract us over and over and over again in the same way listen to me leave your cell phone in the living room Put accountability software on. Call your friend when you're lonely. I don't have any friends. We'll make some. I can't make any. Then be one. Stop letting the devil play the same tricks over and over again. Here's my question. How is the enemy distracting you? If you can define how the enemy is distracting you then you can beat him at his own game. Well, the devil doesn't play fair. Neither does the Holy Spirit. There's nothing in Scripture that says that God is fair. Scripture says God is just. And when the devil comes at you in a way that's unfair, that's why you have the sword of the Spirit. When the devil comes at you in a way that's unfair, that's why you have a prayer language that he can't understand. When the devil comes at you, all you have to do is plead the blood of Jesus, resist the enemy, and he cannot stay. It's a biblical promise. See, hope is not that God will deliver me from every circumstance. That's not hope. Hope is not that I'll fight my way out of every corner. That's not hope. That's pride. Hope is that Jesus is walking with me. That's hope. That God is walking with me through the valley. That I get to glory in this tribulation. That prison has a production to it. When my friend lies about me, stabs me in the back. When somebody else is promoted in the, into the position that I was striving, praying for. Whenever I was completely honest and I took the high road 
but it feels like the dungeon. Hope is not that God has vengeance, although he will. Hope is not that he's going to get you out. No, no, no. Listen to me. Hear me. Hope is that he's right there with you, that his hand is upon you, and that everything that you do because of him has kingdom success tied to it no matter where you are or whether you even have the resource to accomplish what he told you to do hope is that Jesus is walking with me closing number four hope appoints this is good this was the part of the book that I decided I gotta preach this I have to preach this See, Romans 5, verse 5, it says, Now hope does not disappoint. Now that's a, just for the grammatically excited, which is a, a rare individual, um, but I had a, a teacher force, my, force the, 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 gr- the grammar into me, and so now I correct as many people as I can, and my wife hates it, so does Pastor Weston. But we do it anyways, because we're honoring. And so hope, the Bible says, double negative here, does not disappoint. Okay, so if if you remove the does not dis or or unappoint, if hope does not un or disappoint you, then if you take all that out, what the Bible says right here is that hope appoints. Hope appoints. There's a formula for your appointment. Tribulation, perseverance, character, hope, appointment. Hope produces. Even in prison, hope produces. We will all go through trials. Jesus promised that tribulation would come. But when the tribulation comes, be of good cheer because I've overcome it all. And even your longest lasting tribulation, it's got a timeline on it. It's called earth. But in the last days, come on, that's your last breath. I'm telling you the tribulation will be worth it because the tribulation is what God was using to develop perseverance in the child of God. And the perseverance is what was being developed in the child of God to produce the character of God. And it is the character of God in the child of God that produces hope in God. And so then it doesn't matter where you are, what's going on in the nation, Washington, New York, Seattle. It doesn't concern you with what's happening in Baton Rouge or any other election. Yeah, you're supposed to rise to your civic duty and go to the ballot polls that day and cast your vote according to biblical standards but you don't stay awake all night wondering and hoping that what you wanted comes to pass because you know that there's an appointment based on hope that was developed through character perseverance and tribulation and so if you wake up the next day and it's not what you wanted you glory in the tribulation because God has a new appointment on the way Joseph in prison in prison He saw the baker and the butler sad. Prison. He saw that they were sad. And he asked, hey, what's making you so sad? 
See, his heart didn't fade. He wasn't laying in the corner feeling sorry for himself because he didn't belong in prison. Or because his leader wasn't on the throne. No, 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 listen to me. Joseph was doing ministry in the midst of tribulation. Which is, by the way, always the greatest opportunity. And because he was doing ministry, not laying around, hope produced a divine appointment. And the appointment of ministry, caring more about somebody else than he cared about himself. Why are you sad? I know what's wrong with me. God's working on that. But, what, but why are you sad? How can, how can I help you? See, it was his hope in the middle of that prison that produced the opportunity. And the opportunity produced an appointment. And two years later, listen to me, two years later, Joseph was pulled out of that prison and positioned into his destiny. Hope, and I close. The Bible says, is the substance of faith. That's Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is being sure of what you hope for. And certain of what you do not see. Now faith is required. Faith is required for salvation. It says it is by grace, that's God's, through faith, that's ours, that we receive salvation and then Paul echoes to the church in Corinth listen without faith it's impossible it's impossible to please God and if hope is the substance of faith then without hope it's impossible to walk in your destiny if the formula for hope is character perseverance and tribulation listen to me Is it possible that it is impossible to be saved without tribulation? Therefore, we glory, we rejoice, we boast in who God is no matter what's going on. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? Father, I thank you today for your word. I thank you that it does not return unto you void. God, right now right now to every follower of Jesus let us ask this question how is the enemy attempting to distract me you have a destiny for my life every child of God has a destiny from God how is the enemy trying to distract you from that destiny is it a secret sin is it an insecurity is it anxiety Is it evil or is it just monotonous? How is the enemy attempting to distract you from God's destiny? Identify it. Now plead the blood of Jesus over it. Put it back in God's hands. Hand it to him. And trust him with it. If you're in the room today, hope is the substance of faith and faith is required for salvation. If you need to give your life to Jesus, put your faith in Him.
because you drifted away, because you've fallen away, or because you've never really surrendered your life to Him fully. We call that receiving salvation. And if the Holy Spirit is stirring that in you right now, I want to invite you right where you are to open your hands in your lap as if God is handing you a present. He gave His only Son, Jesus gave His life, but you have to receive, you have to surrender. It's your faith that has to be placed in His hands. If the Holy Spirit is talking to you right now, I want to invite you to pray with us today. Church, I want to ask you to support anybody that needs to pray this prayer. If you're watching online or you're right here in the room, I want you to confess, say out loud with your mouth. Come on, let's pray this together. Jesus, forgive me where I've fallen, I've been distracted, even disobedient. Save me, cleanse me from the world, the enemy, and myself. You died on the cross. You were raised from the dead so that I could be forgiven and made new. I will follow you with all of my heart as long as I live. I surrender all to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, somebody give God praise this morning.